You don't get to reconciliation by pretending that evil things did not happen. If we are seeking reconciliation, it's always a good thing to ask the question, is there something of which I can repent? Is there something of which I can take ownership? What is that if you're seeking reconciliation? Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. Colin, sometimes we hear stories of people who have broken relationships and they want to find reconciliation, but they're just not sure how to go about it, what it looks like, what it feels like. If that's your story, you're going to be encouraged by what you hear today. Yes, and especially because reconciliation is possible. We're going to look at one of the wonderful stories of reconciliation in the Old Testament, where after all the abuse, all of the alienation that has taken place, Joseph and his brothers are reconciled. And uh, the fact that this happens by God's grace is surely a great encouragement. But perhaps what's even more significant is that for us to look in the Bible at how it happened. What is the process of reconciliation? reconciliation actually look like? What are its constituent elements? And therefore, what are the things that I can do in a situation where I want to seek reconciliation and move in that direction? There's so much for us to learn here today, and it's all straight out of the Word of God. We see this in Genesis chapter 45. So if you can, open your Bible and look at the message, Forgiven and Reconciled. Here's Pastor Colin. We have a marvelous chapter together before us today. We've been following the story of the transformation of the brothers. We have seen that they were awakened and convicted, that they were welcomed and fed, and that they were tested and that they were transformed. And we've been seeing the big significance of this story is that it actually gives us an insight into how the Holy Spirit brings about the change uh, in a person's life today. Um, he awakens us to awareness of our own sin. At the same time, he lavishes the knowledge of the love and kindness of God upon us. And in these ways, he brings about the great transformation that we looked at last week, in which a person stops grieving the Father and starts loving the Son. Now, last week, we got to the point in the story, the marvelous moment, pivotal moment in the story where Joseph makes himself known. Verse 3 of chapter 45, I am Joseph. And uh, I want to pick up three themes from this very rich chapter uh, today. The first is going to be Joseph's example of forgiveness and reconciliation. Then we're going to look at the brother's commission, which is that they should go and tell. And then thirdly, Jacob's journey from doubting to faith. So let's begin here there, verses first, uh, 1 to 8. We're going to look at Joseph's example of forgiveness and reconciliation. And three observations here. The first is, I want us to notice in this great Bible scene, when reconciliation happens. And we touched on this at the end last week, that uh, reconciliation happens when there is a convergence of three factors. And the first of these is, of course, the brother's repentance. That was the first half of chapter 44. Reconciliation happened uh, when there was genuine repentance in the hearts of these brothers. They cannot go on grieving the father. They cannot give up Benjamin, the dearly loved son. You don't get to reconciliation by pretending that evil things did not happen. 
There's a genuine change of heart in the brothers here. They face the truth of who they are and of what they have done. And that's one of the converging factors that is part of genuine reconciliation. When that happens, the door is open for reconciliation to take a place. So if we are seeking reconciliation, it's always a good thing to ask the question, is there something of which I can repent? Is there something of which I can take ownership? What is that? If you're seeking reconciliation, that's a major part of what needs to converge if it's to happen. Second thing, the brother's repentance Secondly, Judah's intercession. That was the second half of chapter 44. And we looked at this last week. How wonderfully Judah points us to Jesus, uh, who of course was born into his line. How does he do that? He offers himself as the substitute in the place uh, of Benjamin. And he becomes the great intercessor on behalf of his brothers. And this reminds us that forgiveness and reconciliation with God... It happens not only when we repent, but it happens because there is a great intercessor who has offered and given himself as our substitute. It is because of Jesus that reconciliation and forgiveness is possible with God. So when does it happen? It happens when there's repentance from the brothers. It happens because there is a great intercessor. And here's the third factor that converges in reconciliation. It happens because Joseph is ready to forgive. And that's chapter 45 and verse 1. So uh, having come from the last chapter where we saw the brothers at repentance, where, where we saw Judah's intercession, we now come to this place where we see Joseph's marvelous forgiveness. And that's the significance of the first word in the chapter. Then. When? Well, when there had been repentance from the brothers that became obvious with them coming back, and when Judah poured out his intercession, then. Then Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him. One writer says very beautifully, that Joseph was vanquished by his own love, conquered by his own love. Love is welling up from his heart for these brothers. He can't contain it anymore. When the, when the intercessors before him, this love, this forgiveness, it's released to these repentant brothers. It's the most beautiful, beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. This Forgiveness wells up in the heart of Joseph and it cascades over these repentant brothers. Now, just think of this as a beautiful picture of the love of God overflowing in joyful reconciliation and forgiveness. When does it happen? It happens when sinners come to him in repentance. And why does it happen? It happens because there is a great intercessor, Jesus, who offered himself as the substitute for us and stands at the right hand of the Father as our great intercessor. That's the first thing. I told you it's a very rich chapter. When reconciliation happens. Second thing here, what reconciliation looks like. This is one of the marvelous scenes in the Bible that teaches us what authentic reconciliation looks like. And I want to make some observations here for our encouragement. Notice first that Joseph protected his brothers 
by refusing to advertise their sin. That's a distinctive mark of real reconciliation. Verse 1, he says, Make everyone go out from me, so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now, you see the point here. It's a very simple one. Joseph's brothers had sinned against him. What had happened was between him and the brothers. It was nothing whatever to do with the Egyptians who served in Joseph's household. And so Joseph would not allow these people, with whom it was nothing to do, uh, to be brought into this situation. Now, as you will have noticed, we live in a culture where many people believe that if a sin has been committed, everybody should know about it. You know, put it on the internet as widely as you possibly can. Well, when a sin is public, it surely needs to be dealt with in a way that includes those who are directly affected by it. If a sin is public, it needs to be dealt with in a public way. If a person is unrepentant, there are times where it is appropriate that it should be told, Matthew 18, to the church. But always remember this, that reconciliation is a wonderful gift of grace that is given to people who are directly involved in a particular offense. And if you are eager to pursue reconciliation, you will be like Joseph, eager not to expand the circle of those who are involved. That's what Peter means when he says love covers a multitude of sins. And Joseph gives us the most marvelous practical example of protecting the people that he wants to forgive by sending out the servants who had nothing to do with the situation whatsoever, no need for them ever to know the sin of the brothers that was just about to be wonderfully forgiven by Joseph. Second thing that's very striking about this reconciliation scene, that Joseph comforted his brothers by affirming his love. Notice verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near me, please. There's a pleading there. It's beautiful. Now, what's the point here? When Joseph made himself known to the brothers their first response was not joy. It was, of course, that they were absolutely terrified. Verse 3, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. But the brothers could not answer him. Why? For they were dismayed at his presence. That's not surprising. You know what's in their mind? We know what we did to him. Now he's got all the power. What in the world is he going to do to us? Now, remember, you have exactly the same thing on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Peter makes this great declaration. This Jesus, who you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And what's the response of the people? Is it to say, oh good, we're all going to be forgiven? No, the response of the people is absolute terror. We know what we did to him. He's highly exalted. He's got all of the power. He's risen from the dead. What in the world is he going to do to us? And so Peter says here, they say, Peter, brothers, what must we do? And Peter says, well, here's what you must do. You must repent and you must be baptized 
And there is forgiveness of sins, and there is the gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's for you and for all who will call upon his, that is Jesus' name. Now, you see, all of this is wonderfully foreshadowed uh, when Joseph says to his terrified brothers who see that he's exalted with power, uh, please come near to me. Now, I want you to hear this as from the Lord as we have the Bible open in front of us today that the risen Lord Jesus Christ is saying to you, whatever you have done, come near to me. The exalted person against whom we have sinned, he loves you, he loves me, and he wants us to come near to him. And this love that says, come near, is then lavished by Joseph, who is pointing us wonderfully to Christ again. It's lavished over each of the brothers. Look at verse 15. They come near, and he he kissed all of his brothers, one by one. He kisses Simeon and Judah and Reuben, all the ones that heard him. He kisses them all, and he wept upon them. And notice what it says next. After that, his brothers talked with him. Now, isn't that fascinating? What a contrast this is. You remember we noticed last week that at the beginning of the story, it says his brothers could not speak peacefully to him. They had no interest in speaking to him. And now when he becomes Lord of Egypt, they're terrified at the thought of speaking to him. They're gripped by guilt and shame and fear. And so he says, come near And he kisses them and he weeps over them. And when they become persuaded of his love after that, then they talked with him. Here's what we learn from this. And it's very important in the Christian life that freedom in prayer, that is how we talk to God, freedom in prayer arises from the assurance of forgiveness, the knowledge of his love. It was after that that they talked with him. And here's my prayer for today. We have the Bible open. Now we're going to come soon around the Lord's table. That through the word, reinforced by the table, both of which are speaking of the love of God in Jesus Christ that reconciles and forgives, that you may hear the voice of the living Christ saying to you, come near to me. And that after that, you may be able to talk with him. Pastor Colin Smith, and we've been looking at Joseph's example of forgiveness and reconciliation. We're going to pause here, but we'll be back to the message in a moment. If you ever miss the message, or if you want to go back and listen again, you can always do that by going to our website. That's openthebible.org.uk. There you can download an MP3 for free, or you can simply stream any of the earlier messages or this message from the website. Now let's get back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin. What reconciliation looked like. We saw when it happened, here's what it looked like. Protected his brothers by refusing to advertise their sin. Comforted his brothers by affirming his love. Here's a third thing that's a component part of this beautiful reconciliation. That Joseph strengthened his brothers by helping them to forgive themselves. Now, do you see that in verse 5? And now says Joseph to them, Do not be distressed 
or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, there are folks in the congregation who at different times have said something like this to me on on multiple occasions, and you may well have said this, and it may be in your mind even now. I know that God forgives me, but here's my problem. I can't forgive myself. Ever said that? You ever heard someone else say that? I know that God forgives me, but here's my problem. I can't forgive myself. Now, how do you answer that? Well, first, you do need to know that whenever you say that, the root problem is pride. Because what you are doing when you say that, if you do, is you're putting yourself above Almighty God. You are saying, the blood of Jesus Christ may be good enough for God, but it's not good enough for me. And the moment you realize that's what you're saying, you will never say that about, I can't forgive myself again. So here's how to forgive yourself today for the things that bring you guilt and the things that bring you shame. You say, if the blood of Jesus Christ is good enough to satisfy Almighty God, and it is, then it is surely good enough to satisfy me. Now, here are some wonderful insights into this whole business of reconciliation. If you are in a situation where a brother or a sister wants to reconcile with you, you want to reconcile with them, show your love as Joseph did to the brothers and help them to be at peace with themselves. So when reconciliation happens, a convergence of three factors, repentance, the intercessor, and the readiness to forgive, uh, what it actually looks like. Here's a third observation uh, here as we are learning from Joseph. How was reconciliation possible? How was it that after all that they had done to Joseph, he really had this forgiveness in his heart? And how can I have this forgiveness in my heart when I have been wounded and hurt by another person? How is it possible? And the answer to that is uh, repeated many times. Let's start in verse 8. It was not you who sent me here, Joseph says to the brothers, but God. How do you get to a place like Joseph where you can put what has happened behind you and reconcile with those who brought hurt into your life? And the answer that we learn from Joseph here very clearly is that he did it because he saw the hand of God at work in his life. Now, this is very striking Joseph mentions one time what his brothers did, and he mentions four times what God did. That's about the right proportion. One time what the brothers did, four times what God did. Do you see that there? Verse verse 4, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now he says that. He must. Reconciliation is not avoiding the reality of what happened. And it's recognized, it's openly stated, but it's not the focus. He says at one time, he's not harping on and on about it. 
What is his focus? Four times he speaks about what God has done. Do you see that? Verse 5, don't be distressed, angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Or verse 7, God sent me here to preserve a remnant for you on the earth. Verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Verse 9, thus says your son Joseph, this is what they're to say to Jacob, it was God who made me the Lord of all Egypt. Now again, you see a direct line here from Joseph to Jesus. When Jesus suffered, how was it that he was able to say, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they are doing? How could he have done that? And as Thomas Watson, who makes this marvelous comment that I found so very, very helpful, he says, it was because Jesus did not focus on Judas and Pilate. But rather, and this is John 18 and verse 11, he viewed his suffering as the cup that the Father had given to him. In other words, Jesus looked beyond the secondary causes, Judas and Pilate the soldiers with the nails. He looked beyond the secondary causes and he saw how the work of the Father was being manifest even in his own pain and in his own suffering. And out of that, he's able to say, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. So here's the lesson for us. How do you get to a place where you can forgive when you have really been wounded? The answer is you have to look beyond the secondary causes, the names and the faces of those who did it. You have to look beyond what another person has done. And you have to get your focus on how God, your gracious and loving Heavenly Father, has been at work in your life even through this. That's how you get to forgiveness. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the message Forgiven and Reconciled, part of our series snapshots of a godly life. And don't forget, you can always listen to Pastor Collins' daily devotionals on our website. These are short two- to three-minute talks read by Sue McLeish with a new one every day. Open the Bible is only able to come to you as a result of your generosity in supporting the work. This month, if you're able to commit to a regular donation of £5 or more, we'd like to send you a free copy of a book The book is called Holiness, and it's by J.C. Ryle. Colin, I know this is one of your favourite books. What makes this book, Holiness, so unique? One of my all-time favourite books, and the reason for this is that there are some books that just help you make sense of your own experience as a Christian. And that's what this book, Holiness, has done for me. On the one hand, the Scripture tells us that being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And on the other hand, we all know as Christian believers that having peace with God, we're also involved in a fight. We're in a battle against the temptations that we face and find in our own flesh. And the Bible says without holiness, we will not see the Lord. So how in the world do you hold these two things together? And what has been so helpful to me in this book is that Ryle shows how you hold these two things together. He actually says straight up that a Christian is a person who is at peace and in conflict 
at the same time. And yet you can tell a real Christian as much by his conflict, that is his own inner conflict with sin and temptation, as you can by his peace. Now, that begins to open up a whole world of understanding as to what Christian experience is really like. So I go back still to this book again and again. I quote from Ryle many, many times. It's been one of the great sources of biblical wisdom in my life, and it's just a joy to be able to share this book with our audience this month. It's called Holiness, written by J.C. Ryle, and it's our gift to you this month for supporting Open the Bible with a regular donation of £5 or more. For Open the Bible and Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pegg, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Open the Bible is a listener-supported production. What does the rhythm of the Christian life look like? Find out next time on Open the Bible.